0: Thank you, praise team, for leading us this morning musically. Let us uh, let us go to Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, as we approach your word this morning, we come humbly. We come hopefully. We come expectantly, Lord. Oh, God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and our lives today. And Lord, that truly we wouldn't leave this place unchanged, but that we would be different. That our worship of you today would, it, would exalt you. And God, that our hearts would be set upon you and that your word today would magnify your goodness and your grace to us. And Father, I pray that you would captivate our hearts by your word today. And Lord, that you would illumine our minds to the truth of your word, that you would Help us to understand it, God, and not only to understand it intellectually, but to love it and to live it. And so now, Lord, as I stand before you, as we as your people sit before your word, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6 through verse 13, reads this way. There came a man sent from John, uh, sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to those uh, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. This morning if you're following along in the uh, the worship folder and the, uh, the outline that's provided there for you, you'll see and you'll also see on the screen the title of the message is The Incarnate Christ, Light of the World. The Incarnate Christ, Light of the World. We've been looking at the Incarnate Christ. We saw him in verses 1 and 2 as the preexistent uh, deity. We see him in verses 3 through 5 as, uh, as creator and life giver. And we see him in verses 6 through 13 as the light of the world. If you remember, the purpose of John's gospel is stated clearly at the end of the gospel in chapter 20, verse 31, where John writes, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see, John the apostle who writes the gospel here, John was an evangelist at heart and wanting to preserve the truth by communicating his account of the gospel message, he, he does so uh, by, by recording for us this message so that all might hear, if possible, all might know the truth and come to faith in Christ, who is the light of the world. So I want to begin this morning by introducing us to one whose name is John, but he's a different John. The John that I want to introduce us to this morning is the John that we see used here in verses six through nine specifically, not the Apostle John, but John the Baptist or the baptizer John. He's the one who's introduced in this passage in verse six, and he's the one who, who was sent by God, who sent before the Lord Jesus to prepare the way. Perhaps we don't give enough thought or credit to this one John who preceded the Lord Jesus, as he walked on this earth. But this man, John the Baptist, was one who was a tremendous man of God. He was a man of great character and a man of courageous faith. Survey of his life and ministry as you walk through John chapter 1 and then chapter 3. And then the other gospels, we would see the courageous faith of this one, we would see this man of God who has given uh, his life and surrendered his life to following and being the mouthpiece and the spokesman for God. He comes as a prophet to announce and proclaim the way of the Lord. We'll see this over the next couple weeks. But here's what Jesus said about this one, John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus spoke this way and said, Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Speaking of John the Baptist, we know it's John the Baptist here because the Apostle John is simply referred to throughout the Gospel of John as the one whom Jesus loved. And so this John, he's a different John, he's a unique John, John the Baptist. Think about that statement for a moment, coming off the lips of Jesus, coming off the lips of the Savior of the world. Here's Jesus saying among all the greats of scripture, among all the people in scripture, John the Baptist was one who born among women. There was no one greater than him. Think about Noah, the preacher of righteousness, right, who God spared, uh, spared the world through. Think about Abraham, the father nation of Israel and the father of nations, Think about Moses, the leader and the deliverer who led God's people out of Egypt from under Pharaoh's hand as they cross the Red Sea and they approach the promised land. Or think about Elijah who walked with God. Think about David, the preeminent king of Israel. But yet it's John the Baptist who captures this distinguished phrase. It's John the Baptist whom Jesus points out and says, this is a great man, there's not another man Like him, born among women. I think it's a tremendous message that we need to hear there about this man, John the Baptist, who would precede Christ. Particularly, I think it needs to to impact us at this place of seeing that John the Baptist was an agent of the light. He was an agent. He was one who was sent by God. John knew that he was only an agent of the light, not himself. He knew that he wasn't the light, but he was one sent by God to proclaim the light, to share and to spread this message and to herald this message. He was a man sent by, sent from God, it says in verse 6. And his ministry was a unique ministry, was it not? I mean, who else in the world was sent? to proclaim the Lord's arrival, right? His ministry was a unique ministry. It was a a very timely ministry. John the Baptist was one who came at this specific time to announce the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John was given a mission by God. And that mission by God that he was given was to announce and to proclaim the arrival of this light, the Son of God, I just ask a practical question for us to consider this morning. Do you really think Jesus needed someone to announce his arrival, the beginning of his ministry? I don't think he necessarily needed someone to announce the beginning of his ministry. I think God could have used angels to announce the beginning of Christ's ministry, right? I mean, angels were there on the night of his birth. But instead, note what God does. God takes this man, John the Baptist, and he uses John the Baptist. And God, in his wisdom and in his grace, he saw fit to use a man to herald the message of light coming into the world. He uses John to set the stage of the divine plan of Jesus' ministry unfolding as it even begins here. You know what's amazing to me is this. It's amazing to me that God will use imperfect people in carrying out and accomplishing his perfect will, <laughs> it's amazing to me that God can do that. That he can use you and I, as imperfect as we are, as sinful as we are, to carry out and to accomplish his perfect will. One of the truths that we see throughout Scripture and we even see here is, is this very truth that God chooses to use people to carry out his work. He calls and he leads and he equips his people for the sake of the gospel. We know this from other places in Scripture as well, though, don't we? We know this from places like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that says we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, Paul says, be reconciled to God. That as we go and we beg the world who, who are in darkness to be reconciled to God. Paul sees himself as one who is an ambassador on on behalf of the kingdom, of the sovereign kingdom of God. And he says, I go to those who are lost and I beg them on behalf of God, be reconciled to Christ, come to Christ, right? Or Matthew five fourteen, where Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, and then they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is the call of God in the life of every disciple of Christ, not just of some, right? That our life would be a light reflecting the light of Christ. Like the moon reflects the sun in the midst of darkness at night, so ought the lives of believers of Christ's disciples be to reflect the Son of God in the midst of the darkness of the world that we live in. First Peter 2 9, Peter says it this way: But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see this here? This this proclamation, this this heralding, this announcing of the light of Christ. John's ministry certainly was unique in the time and, and the nature in which he came in which he served. But I want to exhort us at two points this morning. And the first one is this, that we would be sensitive to the unique call of God in our lives. I want to encourage us in this that we would be sensitive to the unique call of God in our lives. It might be vocational ministry. We know Scripture affirms that some are are given as pastors, as teachers, and there are a variety of different gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people so that God's people may live according to His Word and may carry out and accomplish His work in the earth and so God's calling in your life, perhaps, maybe there's something that, that God's been dealing with in your life. Maybe there is somebody here this morning who has been sensing and praying through a real serious issue about, is God calling me into the ministry? Is God calling me into preaching His Word? Or perhaps for you this morning, it's, maybe it's missions, maybe, maybe it's a lifetime or maybe it's a week, Right? I want to encourage us this morning to pray through these things and ask God what He wants us to How is He wanting to use us daily? What's He desiring to do through, in and through us? It could be that you would serve for a lifetime on another continent or it could be that you would serve for a week on another continent or it could be in another city or it could be across the street or it could be across town or it could be in another state to encourage us to be sensitive about the unique call of God in your life. What does this look like for you and for me as we go about our daily activity and our daily routine? How are we to be the best accountant for the glory of God and at the same time share this gospel light in the midst of the dark world that we live in? Or, or, or how are we to be the best attorney, or the best lawyer, or the best architect, or, or the best school teacher, or the best custodial uh, person? How are we to be the best of what we're doing, the best salesman, whatever it is, for the glory of God? And how are we to do this in a way where we impact others with the light of the gospel I think we must be sensitive to the unique call of God in our lives. Second thing I want to encourage us in, in in making application here quickly, is this, that we ought to be sensitive to the testimony of others in our lives as well. We ought to be sensitive to the testimony of others. You know, there are times when God uses others to speak into our lives. God certainly teaches us and, and instructs us through his word, right? As we come to God's word, we read and, and then we're convicted about things in our own life maybe that need to change or, or we're encouraged and exhorted or the Lord just, he, he brings to mind or as we're in prayer, He'll he'll bring to mind things that we need to do or somebody that we need to pray for. We come across this as we spend time reading God's word. But one way that he does communicate with us is he communicates with us through others as well might be Sunday school teachers or it might be a Bible study leader or listen youth. It might be your parents where God begins to communicate to you and teach you and instruct you. But God certainly does. He communicates to us through other believers, through other means, not only his word, even through right the preaching of the word. God communicates to us here at this moment when we submit ourselves to the word of God. Perhaps even right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something that he is been leading you to do, and maybe you've been wanting to suppress and not engage and not follow through with it. I clearly remember where I was and what I was doing when I knew God was calling me to preach his word. There was one particular point and moment where it all culminated, but there were a multiplicity of variables that that came in and, and kind of compounded on that moment. There, were, there, was, the, there was the preaching of, of men of God that impacted my life and, uh, and, and spurred me on and encouraged me to want to dig deep into God's Word. And there were other men who personally invested in my life. And, and then there was, there, was a, there, was, there was my dad who would encourage me in, uh, in, in following God. And there, there were so many who would have a part and had a part in encouraging me to follow God's call and to listen to what God was teaching me and telling me. Have you ever noticed that there are times when God just makes it absolutely clear that he's calling out to us? For those of us who are slow in hearing and following God, he normally kind of makes all these things come together and just point in the direction that we need to that we need to see and follow, but certainly there is this um, developing of the sensitivity for the life of the believer, where we are to be a witness for the glory of God, where we are to follow him, we are to be led by him. And so I I want us to see this morning that John the Baptist was he was a man sent from God. He was a man on a mission from God. And then secondly, I want us to see in verses seven and eight that he was a man who who had a purpose, he was a witness with a purpose. It says in verse seven, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Well, a simple question, what, what do witnesses do? Well, witnesses share a story, right? They, they share a testimony. They give, they give a rendition, hopefully, of truthful facts, of something as it has occurred. And a good witness is one who shares his or her testimony about the truthfulness of a matter. They give account of what has occurred. I think what we see in the life of John the Baptist specifically, as he was a witness with a purpose, as we see in verse 7 and, and in verse 8, he, his purpose was so that all might believe through him, that all might hear this gospel message, that he would be faithful in proclaiming and being a witness and testifying, giving testimony of, of what God had done, of what God was about was doing We see that as we read through the remainder of of chapter 1 and even into chapter 3, John was a faithful witness that embraced his call. We see it in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 1. It says, Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sin us? What do you say about yourself? And John replied, he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, You see, he was one who embraced his call he knew what god was calling him to do and john the baptist faithfully came and he he embraced that call that god was leading him in he knew this was the place of contentment and satisfaction in his relationship with god was to embrace god's calling in his life a faithful witness is also one who speaks the truth look look at what he says in verse 8 he was not the light john the apostle John records for us he was not the light but he came to testify about the light skip down to verse 19 of chapter 1 this is the testimony of John John the Baptist when the Jews sent sent to him priests and levites from Jerusalem to ask him who are you he confessed and did not deny but confessed i am not the christ You know, what strikes me about John the Baptist's testimony is he's he's a humble man. Mr. Al said earlier, quoted from chapter three, where John the Baptist said, you know, his disciples are watching Jesus rise in popularity and all the people are going from John, leaving John and his baptism, going to Jesus, being baptized by the disciples. And they said, what what gives? What about this? And John replies to his disciples and he says he must increase and I must decrease. This is a humble man And here's the thing, he doesn't want to rob or take any of the glory from God. He doesn't want to rob or take any of the glory from Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the one who is coming. And he points others to Christ and not away from Christ. I think that's significant and important for us to see. And I pray for us that we will be those kind of faithful witnesses that will point others to Christ and not away from Christ. That we will be that faithful and that committed. That we will embrace the call of God in our life in that manner and in that way. He was a faithful witness who was humble. Verse 27 continues to speak of his humility. He speaks of Jesus and says, It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. You see, John was a man of courageous faith. He stood before King Herod and he spoke to King Herod, and he, he condemned King Herod for his immoral lifestyle, and he wouldn't back down from King Herod, even though he knew perhaps his life would be taken. As a witness, John remained faithful in his mission. You see, John was a mouthpiece for the glory of God. John was one who spoke faithfully for God's glory. Let's not forget All of us, all of us are called to be the light of Christ in the dark world. We, too, are called to be a faithful witness for the glory of God. And here's my prayer for us this morning. I pray that this might become the cry of our hearts. That when our lives on earth have been spent, many would say of us, many would say of me, there was a man whose name was Nick. He came to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but he came to give a testimony about the light. And that many, many would hear and would believe because of the testimony of the light of the gospel of Christ. It's an amazing thing that God has chosen in perfect vessels to carry out his perfect will. It's amazing to me that God has chosen to use people to spread the gospel light. And The reality is that he wants to use you and me. He wants to use us in carrying out this message. He wants to use us in proclaiming the glory of God himself. He wants to use us in proclaiming the message of salvation so that all those who are in bondage and in darkness will hear the light of the gospel, will turn and flee from their wicked ways and will pursue the glorious Jesus Christ, the only one through whom we can have salvation. So we see John as the agent of light. But not only do we see John as the agent of light, I think as we keep reading through this passage, particularly in verses 9 through 11, we see this enlightenment, the true light coming into the world, and enlightenment that exposes our hopelessness in verses 9 through 11. We see an enlightenment that exposes our hopelessness. John says there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. This might be a bit perplexing to some of us because we think to what degree are all people enlightened? And what does John mean here when he says that he enlightened every man? Surely John couldn't mean that every man has been given salvation simply because Jesus has come into the world. I think Scripture speaks against that, certainly. First, I want us to note, though, that he speaks of the true light. And that which is true light, that true light is is Jesus. The true light is the one, Jesus Christ, who has come into the world. And that which is true speaks of that which is genuine, that which is real. It is not fake or fraudulent or false, but it is the true light. Jesus is the exact representation of God. F.F. F. Bruce, in his commentary, says this. He says it. It's from this true light that all genuine illumination proceeds. Whatever measure of truth men and women in all ages have apprehended has been derived from this source. The context of verse 9 here seems to be referring, though, to all people who are in the world. And so it has something to tell us and to teach us about all people in the world, not just those who believe. And so we must conclude that this true light enlightens every man enough to know internally that there really is a God. That there really is a God. There really is a creator. And after all, that's what John is is about. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Jesus is creator, or that Jesus is God, and that Jesus is creator All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being, right? And then that he is the, the life of the world, that he is the one who can give eternal life. And so we see here that this illumination, this enlightenment, it is enough to know internally that there really is a God. Have you ever heard the statement, ignorance is bliss? Not in this case. The reality of what John is saying is that every man stands responsible before God for what they do with this enlightenment, this light that has come into the world. That every man is going to be held responsible. Every man has a responsibility. Every woman has a responsibility. Every child, every person has a responsibility for what they do with the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus. In fact, I think Scripture affirms this truth in many places. Just to name a few, one, that Jesus is the revelation of God. Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Listen, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Or in Romans chapter one, verses 20 and 21, a familiar passage for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things which have been made so that, listen, so that they are without excuse, talking about every one of us. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The idea here that there was true light, which coming into the world, enlightens every man, there is this genuine truth and real truth revelation that God exists within each one of us, put in the heart of of each and every person. But what we do with that light, we are responsible for. So the question I would ask is, why doesn't everyone walk by the light? Why doesn't everyone walk by the light? If this light has been given, why doesn't everyone walk by the light? And if you turn over to John chapter 3, Verses 19 and 20, I think we see the answer. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. you see that? The reason everyone doesn't walk by the light is because When light shines into the darkness, it exposes everything. And there are times when that exposing of everything is very painful. And then simply put, as John puts it in chapter 3, that men love darkness rather than light. And given the choice, choose darkness over light. the hopelessness that we see here is that Man is lost in darkness. And that even though the true light has come into the world that enlightens every man, verse 10 tells us he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. This is the tragedy of the human dilemma, verses 10 and 11, that the world didn't know him. The world here, it refers to the sphere of creation that is against God, that has rebelled against God. And it speaks of humanity being set against God. Much like John uses the word world in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, right? He uses the same language in saying God loved the world. And in this verse, he doesn't speak about God's love for nature per se, but God's love for the very people who are set against him. And so this word for world is speaking of those who are set against God. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. The tragedy of the human dilemma is that when Jesus, the light, came into the world and walked among his creation, his creation was so alienated from him, from God, because of sin, that they didn't even know it was him, the creator of the world. The tragedy is that sin has darkened the relationship between creation and the creator and when light comes the darkness in the lives of every one of us causes us to rebel against God and reject him that is the human dilemma that sin has so encroached upon our lives and is so woven into the DNA of the fabric of our DNA that we reject the light of Christ This is the hopelessness of humanity. That apart from Jesus Christ, there is no way that we could ever come to God. There is no way that we could be justified in coming into his presence and that we would be condemned outside of Christ, outside of this light. And so as John is is writing for us, he's telling us that this true light has come into the world. But even in the midst of the true light coming in, the creator coming to creation, the world still rejected the true light of Christ. They rejected him in verse 11. It says, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Even takes it a step further. Not only did the world in general reject God, those who were his own even rejected him. Verse 11, as they rejected him, it says that his own that he came to, that is his dominion, those who were his, his chosen people, the people of the covenant, those who were supposed to see and and believe and accept the coming of the Messiah. They had been looking for the coming of the Messiah, the one whom God would provide for their salvation. They missed this coming Messiah, the promised one. And though he fulfilled the burden of the law and he brought salvation from God, they missed it. They didn't see it. The Enlightenment exposes our hopelessness in this way. That Jesus Christ, the true light, has come into the world and the world, each person, is without excuse. We are without excuse because we have rejected the true light. And each person rejects Jesus Christ, the light of the world, because they love darkness more than they love light. Are simply stated, they love sin more than they love righteousness. They love wickedness more than they love godliness. Without the true light, man cannot enter the eternal abode of God. Without the true light, man cannot encounter salvation through God and this true light is Jesus Christ that's the point that John is making this true light is Jesus the one who has come down from the father and so in verses 12 through 13 I want us to see the hope that we all need the hope that we all need and the hope that we all depend upon in verse 12 he says but as many As received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You know, today people are looking for hope. People look for hope in all different places in all different ways. People are thirsty for hope. People try to find hope in the stock market or in their their portfolios or in their homes or in their toys or in their friends or in their hobbies. You keep on going down the list. We try to find hope and fill our lives with all this stuff to give us hope, to make us feel better about ourselves. And that's the culture that we live in. But I want to submit to you this morning that all of these, all of these are false hopes. All of these are false. They're fraudulent. There are many, many offers of hope. But here's what John says here in the opening remarks of his gospel. He doesn't just offer hope. John is proclaiming. The evangelist is proclaiming. The only true message of hope is this one, Jesus Christ. The only true message of hope is through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. There's no other way. There's no other means. There's no other substitute for hope is what he's saying. The hope that is offered is Jesus Christ. This is the hope that every man needs, that every woman needs. Jesus Christ. He's enough. He's sufficient. He is the one that we all need. And so I want to ask this morning as he We look in verse 12. There are two words that I want to hone in on. One is received and the other is believe. What does it mean to receive and to believe? What does it mean, according to John, to receive and to believe? He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. This receiving of him it's more than just some intellectual understanding of Jesus as the light of the world or as creator. Or it's more than just intellectually saying, intellectually saying, I believe that God exists or I believe that Jesus is the creator or I believe that Jesus is God. It's more than just an intellectual exercise. Receiving Jesus means acknowledging that Jesus created the world. But, to receive him speaks more about surrendering my, life, my life's control over to him. Receiving him speaks more about his lordship in my life that I've received that he is lord and sovereign over my life. And it means to pledge my complete allegiance to him. When John speaks about receiving him, he's speaking about pledging one's complete allegiance an utter devotion to this one, Jesus Christ, to the light. But he also speaks about believing in his name. And it's interesting that he says in his name, this, it means to trust and to put complete faith in him. His name is significant because it means the total nature of his being. All of who Christ is, everything that God's word reveals Christ to be. His deity, his humanity, his redemption. Everything that Scripture says about him is second, him as the second person of the Trinity. He is God, he is creator, he is sustainer, he is savior, he is healer, he is life giver, he is the atoner of sin. It means to believe and to trust that he is everything that he says he is. Not just mean that I can say I believe in God and then believe in Jesus and then go and live in any manner that I please. But it means that I come to God and I submit my life to him. And I want to learn from him, I want to be yoked together with the Lord Jesus Christ to believe and to receive means to trust in him and to place myself in submission under his authority and his lordship. That's salvation to come to Him and to be submitted under His Lordship, to receive Him and to believe Him. That's what it means. It's not just to say, I believe that He existed and that He was a good person. It is to actually surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And then it says to them, He gave the right, that is the authority to become children of God. And I want to point out that it, it's more than just a judicial sense This is more than just coming to Jesus judicially. Jesus has authorized us to be the children of God. He's authorized us to be in the very presence of God. By Him coming as the light of the world and stepping out of the glory of the Father and walking among His creation and then dying on the cross and raising and ascending to the Father, He has authorized us to come into the very presence of God for all those who receive Him and all those who believe Him, who will trust in Him. This is the gospel. This is the light of the gospel of Christ. That He is God, but yet He he descended and became man. And He has made a way for us to come into God's presence. This is coming before God upon the authority of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to think that the Lord of all creation would come and to make a way for you and I to come into the presence of God. So here's the question that we're left with. How does one become A child of God. Look at what he says in verse 13. Who were born. Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. First off he's saying he was born of God. Those who are born of God. So just read it quickly, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, that is Jesus, even to those who believe in his name, who were born of God. Then he gives us the way that conditions which mean we're not born of God. Born not of blood, not through the natural bloodline. It, It didn't matter to Jesus if anyone was a descendant of Abraham or not. That's not what mattered. What mattered was their character and their heart before God. What mattered was, had they submitted their lives to the law of God and to the love of God, and were they loving others as they love themselves? Were they living according to the Shema? The Lord our God is one. We shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength and that you love your neighbor as yourself. That's what was of great concern for Jesus. In other words, it, did, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if my dad was a preacher, or if my grandfather was a preacher, if my great uncle was a preacher, if my mom and dad had me in church every day as I was growing up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if my mom was a great servant in the church or grandmother was a great servant in the church. It's not about... The bloodline, it's not about who we came from. That guarantees our salvation. Sometimes the world tends to trust in that, right? But it's also not about the flesh, he says, not born, not of flesh either, right? In verse 13, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. That is out of personal desire. Listen, a person who has never been regenerated, never been born again, cannot earn their way to God by being a good person. They can't earn their way to God by keeping all of the commandments. Sometimes I hear people share the gospel, and basically they share they share this. They say, well, you've tried all these other things. Why don't you give Jesus a try? Right? Or... That's the perspective maybe that some people come to the gospel with or come to Christ with is, well, nothing else has worked. Let me give Jesus a try. That's not it at all. Not born of the flesh, the will of the flesh or of personal desire, nor of the will of man, he says. No man-made system can get us to God. No false religion or false light, false witness can bring us into the presence of God. We can't work our way to God in our own strength. We can never be good enough to supply all that the law demands for our own righteousness. But I want to close with this. Hear this. Here is the hope. Here is the hope of the gospel, that while we can't come to God on our own, He provides a way for us to come to him that we would be born again, as he says in John chapter three to Nicodemus in that interaction. At night, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he says in verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This is the message of the gospel that one must be born again there is this interaction between god the father and god the son and the new birth of a new believer and the regeneration of a new believer and that's what john is hinting at here there is the right given in verse 12 by jesus to become all those who believe in his name to be born of god to be born from the father in john chapter 6 verse 37 Jesus tells his disciples, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that has been given me and raise it up on the last day. And he says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. See, the hopelessness of our dilemma is this, that outside of the light of the gospel of Christ, there is no way to enter into salvation, to come into the presence of God. There is no way to have salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the dilemma is that our sin has caused us to be alienated from God so that we are in darkness, but we need the light of Christ to shine in our darkness to show us the way to come into God's presence. And listen, it's not about trusting and how long we've been a member of a church. It's not about trusting and who our parents were and, and how long they brought us to church or what they did in the church. And it's not even about attaining and earning our own way to God. It's about being born again, coming to Jesus Christ and having new life. It only comes through Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you very simply this morning, if there's anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you this morning. The Lord is drawing your heart. Don't reject him. Don't push him away. If he's shining the light of the gospel into your life this morning, if the Holy Spirit is illuminating your mind right now, don't push him away. Don't deny him. Respond to the Lord Jesus this morning. Come before him. Confess your sin to him. Surrender your life to him. Believe and receive the Lord Jesus and be born again by the power of God through the authority of Jesus Christ. and then don't be don't be embarrassed about it rejoice rejoice in the work that God is doing in your life then church I want to challenge you in this if God is calling you uniquely leading you believer in a specific way to follow Him and surrender your life to Him, to be a witness for Him. We know that we're all called to be witnesses for the glory of Christ and to proclaim the light of the world in the midst of darkness. We, we know that. But there's a specific way that God is leading you that you've been pushing aside and, and not wanting to follow Him in. I want to challenge you and encourage you to quit walking away from it and embrace the call of God in your life. Embrace what God is calling you to do and leading you to do. Or you'll truly be satisfied when you do that. I'm going to close us in prayer. I invite the praise band to come up in a moment as I pray. Um, But if you're here this morning, I want to give an invitation. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then I would love to rejoice in that decision with you and I would love to be able to speak with you about that. And so if that be you this morning, I, I want you to know I'll be standing down here if you want to come and ask me just to pray with you or if you want to come and say, hey, listen, I-, I need to talk to you after this and uh, or, or I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus Christ right now, then I want to pray with you about that. Mr. Al, one of our elders, he'll, he'll be up here at front as well. If, if maybe you just need prayer, maybe you need encouragement in the area, Uh, believer of commitment you need to vocalize that to somebody this morning Uh, a lot of times when we vocalize that commitment it helps to keep us accountable maybe that's what you need to do this morning whatever be the case i want you to know that we'll be here to pray if you need prayer let's bow father you are good thank you lord jesus for redeeming us from the hopeless dilemma of our sin. Thank you, God, that you choose to use us, imperfect sinners, to accomplish your divine perfect will. Thank you for that grace. And Lord, I pray for strength this morning for anyone who is struggling with surrendering their life to you. Oh, God, would you open their eyes and shine the light in and pierce the darkness of their heart? Help them, God, to surrender. To trust in you in all things. To submit to your lordship. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.